Good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church Sunday morning gathering this morning. I'm happy to see all of you. I feel blessed to know you. And I'm thankful that God is allowing us to open His Word, to dive in, to see a glimpse of His glory through His God-inspired, God-breathed Word. Um, I am glad you're here. If this is your first time here, I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, If you want to know how we operate, we sort of, every Sunday we, or most Sundays we preach book by book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So we'll take small parts of the Bible and introduce them and include them as um, God's greater whole to see what He's saying for us. Uh, so today, uh, you found yourself in Romans 13, 11 through 14. I truly believe that uh, it is through God's providence and His sovereignty that He brought all of us here today. And I believe in that he has a message for all of us today through his word. Uh, Before we begin, I would like to pray uh, and ask God for his direction and guidance for our service this morning. Great God, ruler and creator over all things, we are forever indebted to your goodness. Your holiness is unmatched. Your greatness insurmountable. Your kindness to us outstretches and outreaches our willingness to abandon you. Your love for us is fresh and new every morning. It awakens us to the possibilities of a new and bright day to honor you and follow you. In your presence, we are not only satisfied, but we are lifted up to the highest potential of the human spirit and human will. There is no greater good that can be found in us than when we are in the presence of a great God. You have brought us here today, the remnant of your redeemed, to worship your name solely and singularly, to allow distractions and cares and anxiety of this world to melt from us as your love pours over us. Would you allow us To be in this moment, in this time. Because time is precious. Would you allow us to take what we learned today. To use it. Not only to lift others up, but most importantly to glorify your majestic name. Father, use your words, not mine. To speak to us today. Change our lives in such a dramatic way. That we would not leave this place or enter this place again. The same person. Would you make us every day a new creation. 
more like your beautiful son. We praise you and we honor you because the things that I've mentioned in this prayer are the promises for your children. And we hold fast to those. It is in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We have been in this part of Romans chapter 13 for a little while. Romans chapter 13 verses 8 through 14. We spent several weeks discussing not only the nature of debt as it pertains to um, monetary debt and what we should owe and should know and how we should pay that back, how we should be responsible with our finances, but also the nature of our debt to each other as the church. Paul is using the illustration of physical worldly debt to say to us, in the same way that you pay your bills timely and with interest and the amount that's expected, you should pay that same debt of love and if not more to the people of God. So last week we looked at the debt of love, how it's our responsibility to outdo each other in love. To outdo each other in honor and kindness. The church should be a place, the place, the preeminent place where God's people first feel accepted and all people feel loved. We should be a place where the goodness of Christ comes out not only in word, but in deed. Don't be mistaken, though, the goodness of Christ and love most often comes out in truth. So not only do we have a debt to love, we have the law of love. Truth and obedience to the will of God is how we most aptly see the love of God. And so we have a responsibility as believers to love God through obedience, love others through obedience. Last week we found out that it was the it was the two for one combo. When we obey the Lord, we are loving him. But also when we are obeying the Lord, we are loving others. When we follow the command of the Lord not to murder, we are also choosing to preserve life. When we follow the command of the Lord not to commit adultery, we are also choosing to preserve love and the sanctity of marriage. We can obey the Lord, show love to Him, while also at the same time loving others. All of this, though, is rooted in knowing God, knowing His will for our lives, trusting what He has said, and then following that truth. We cannot have one of those aspects of that puzzle missing. We must know, we must dig deep to find out what the will and the purposes and the plans of God are. When we find out what what His purposes are, then we can trust them because He is a good God who is full of truth. He would not lie to us. He's not the author of confusion. He didn't put rules or laws or regulations in our way to cause us to stumble, but to lift us up. To make us be better. Not only for ourselves, for His glory, but for the sake of others. 
And once we trust that His plans are good, that He is a good God, then we can follow them knowing that if we follow them, we are doing something good. We are doing something right. Not only for the glory of the Lord, not only to lift ourselves up, but to lift others up also. Today we're going to examine the end of Romans chapter 13 and look at knowing the time. Knowing the time. Paul transitions in a way here. He says, besides this, what he is saying is he's saying, in addition to the understanding that you've gained, in addition to these previous words, we should love one another by obeying, we should follow the will of God. In addition to that, you should also know that there is an even greater emphasis on why we should know and trust and follow the Lord. Verses 8 through 10 sort of give us a general calling as to how we can love each other, how we can love God. But this general calling, and this general calling is for Christians everywhere under normal circumstances. But what I think Paul is saying more deeply, starting in verse 11, is that we do not live under normal circumstances. As a matter of fact, I would say since Jesus, since the advent of Christ, Things have not been normal circumstances. You can argue that it was since the beginning, since the fall of mankind. We should love one another because that's what we're supposed to do. But also, we must understand that at time, the times we live in, and that there is this great dynamic shift that happened with the coming of Jesus and the gospel. Several things happened at that time that I want to point out to you today that I think would be interesting. I don't know that they are going to give you any sort of uh, great theological understanding, but they might help you put things in order and sequence and clear things up. What you need to understand is when Jesus came, several things happened that shift the dynamic of God's people, for God's people. Number one, the coming of Christ began the end times. The coming of Christ began the end times. All times before Christ was just time. The coming of Christ began the end times. Now I want to warn you against preachers who focus solely on trying to find out when Jesus is returning. I want you to know this is all you need to know about the return of Jesus and it can get you a long way. This is what Jesus even said himself about his own return. It is imminent. It is imminent. It can happen at any moment, at any second. The only thing we should be worried about as believers is being in the right position when it happens. And that position is being in Christ. The coming of Christ Jesus ushered in the end times which changed the dynamic for believers. I... Time has always been precious. I'll point to a verse that Moses, in a, in a minute I'll point to a verse that Moses said, where he said, time is but a breath. But I want to say that since Jesus came, Jesus was the delineating point to let you know that time is valuable, it's short, and it is precious. But also something that happened with the coming of Jesus is that the gospel of Jesus changed God's, uh, God's people's interaction with others. 
Israel went from a relatively isolated, as long as they obeyed the Lord, they were relatively isolated, relatively to themselves. They were even commanded not to commingle with other nations. As a matter of fact, this is why it seems like there's two different gods, right? Because in the Old Testament, you see the Lord take over a place and He's like, slaughter them, murder them. And the reason he says to do that is because he is a holy God. And he knew that any commingling of his people with a pagan nation would cause a, uh, a dissolving or a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? A syncretization, a dilution. That was the exact word I was looking for. Thank you. A syncretization of these two people. And the Lord was so sure and true and and desiring of his holiness that he would not allow he would not allow that to happen but now with Christ although thing although it's always been the desire of God that all people everywhere would be saved with Christ it is more objectively and truly seen now in order to instead of Instead of staying with your people, instead of not commingling, now in order to obey the Lord, he says we are to be his witnesses to all nations. By the, by the nature of the gospel, the very people that God's people at one time were told to avoid are now family. And, and in that, we, I should say, bring in all of our baggage to the game. Now, with, so with this gospel calling, this change in dynamic because of Jesus comes challenges, new challenges. We have to somehow be in the world and love the world and bring the gospel to the world like Acts 1.8 says. We will be His witnesses from our hometown to the ends of the earth. We have to trudge through temptation as it, as it is right before our face. We have to live somewhere between the imminence of the return of Christ and the possibility that we will die before He returns. And like the wise virgins, we must have our wigs trimmed and enough oil in our lamps to last until the return of the bridegroom. Paul is saying that we are not only to obey generally and love generally to the glory of the Lord, but practically we will need, as we consider the times, we will need to love in a deeper and more effective way because we will be all we have. We will be what we lean on. We will be the strength. Through the power of the Holy... Obviously, you know what I mean. Through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But we, as the church, will be the strength to lean on in these times. Amen. I want to give you some things to consider about the times. The more radical the rejection, the more rapid the decline. Humanity in general... You've heard me say this several times, but you need to hear it again. Humanity in general is no worse off than it's ever been. We have been, since the fall of mankind, depraved to our core. We have been in desperate need of a Savior, unable to save ourselves. But the more radical rejection of God, the more rapid the decline of humanity. There will always be remnants of faithful believers all over the globe. But if you look at the United States and if you look at Western cultures, 
what we are seeing is a rapid decline or a rapid rejection of God's commands. A radical rejection of God's commands. And so what we are witnessing, even before our eyes, is a rapid decline in morality. This is only exacerbated by media networks. Not media like the media, but the availability the availability to get your word out quickly and effectively and efficiently um, to the whole world. The more radical the rejection, the more rapid the decline. You need to understand this so that this may clearly set you on a path to understanding how to follow God. This next thing that I'm going to say might sound a little harsh, but it really is just the truth. The world is full of abject hate for Christians. The world is full of abject hate for Christians. So sometimes Christians are being a little in their feelings and things that are not directly related to them, um, they get upset about. And that's true. But uh, mostly, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's a duck. If, if something seems like it is objectively and pointedly against or at Christians, for, because they are Christians, it is because it is objectively and, and specifically against Christians. That is just the way it is. And the quicker we come to the realization that in general, in general, the world hates Christianity, the quicker we will be able to navigate this in a God-honoring and loving way. So we consider the times. We must understand that relenting on biblical truth will not make you loved or more loved, but it will only make you a project that can be won. Do you understand? Any time that a person, you've heard the, you've heard the saying before, they, they smell blood, they taste blood. You specifically, I, the context I've heard it in is in a fight. You know, you see, you're, you see a boxing match, and you know that the boxer starts kind of wobbling. I don't really watch MMA because the fear of like somebody breaking a bone scares me. Makes me want to throw up a little bit. But, but you watch a boxing match, and someone kind of does this. Do you th does the boxer at that point when they're wobbling, do they just kind of let back and like, like let them recover? Are you going to be all right, buddy? No, no, they smell blood. And if the world sees you as someone who is malleable, as someone who is changeable, that is the smelling of blood. That is the time to pounce. That is the time to attack. So the quicker we see that the world has abject hate for believers, the better off we will to navigate this world. But also, friends, the beauty of the gospel is that it's crazy to everybody but Christians. The quicker we see that the world hates us, but our calling is still to show the opposite to them, the better off we are to navigate this world in love. See, if we think that the world is going to love us, then it's going to surprise us when, we hate, when they hate us, and we won't know how to respond to them. But if we understand that just as Jesus says, they will hate you because they hated me, they hated me first, then our response will be, let's try to respond like Jesus responded. Yes. Let's respond in love. Let's respond in kindness. 
Let's respond unlike the way they treated us. Our interaction should be genuine, it should be loving, and it should be godly for the distinct purpose of rescuing our family. Not gaining cool points, not being invited to the barbecue, but rescuing our family. Another thing you need to understand is there will come a time where other believers will be all that you have. So while I'm not saying to dig in and create holy huddles, <coughs> Paul is telling us to do our best to nurture those relationships and to grow as an individual so that it will be a natural transition during this time. If you find yourself, friends, if you find yourself um, either discussing or uh, being upset or disgusted more towards Christians than what is going on in the rest of the world. More at arms about what Christians do or professing Christians do then the problem is likely not with the family of God but it is likely with you. Now there are some disgusting things that professing Christians do and we can all call a spade a spade. But for the most part, we should give the people of God the benefit of the doubt as they're trying to navigate the crazy dynamic of this world just as we are. As we consider our time, we need to see why this is why I believe the modern woke and social justice movement will not work. Injustice has existed from the beginning of time. The gospel is a gospel for those marginalized people. Absolutely. But the gospel is also a gospel for all people. In Christ, the poor and the rich have the same standing. In Christ, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, and all the other ones that I'm not going to mention have the same standing. Yes. If we were to end racism, which we can't because it's a sin issue, and not a white necessary issue, then we would just make people's ride to hell more tolerable. The problem with the social justice and the woke movement is it's hospice and not a cure. It's hospice. It's palliative care. The social justice movement makes life more tolerable until hell. Friends, we should be concerned about those forgotten people. We should be concerned about what the social justice movement has termed as marginalized. Absolutely and definitively. There should not be race or a racist bone in our body. But the answer has always been and will always be throughout the generations of marginalization. That's hard to say. The answer has always been the gospel of Jesus Christ. Social justice that is not done with a gospel mindset is palliative care. It is not the answer or the cure. The gospel is the cure. Teaching people to understand the times and that the times are evil and that they always will be until the perfect comes is the only way to properly navigate all of this mess we constantly find the world in and even ourselves in. So consider the time, friends. 
Because the coming of Jesus and the last days, during this time, these imminent days, the enemy will do everything that he can to destroy the church. He will do everything that he can to fracture the relationship of God's people. He will do everything that he can to make sure that the unity of God's people is broken so that we are ineffective and inefficient in not only helping meet physical needs of others, but also in helping meet the most important, and that is the spiritual needs of others. And he will not stop until he is finally undone in the last day. So knowing these things, that was not an introduction, by the way, so stay with me. That was kind of point 1A, okay? So knowing these things, we must consider the time. And I want to give you, in this brief last part of this, some things that we must understand from what Paul is saying, some things that we must do. The first is this, wake up, wake up. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He says, if you are a Christian, excuse me, if you are a new creation, if you are a child of the light, then wake up and walk in the light. And that, that, that's not just some generic Slogan for Christians. That is put off the things that hinder you. Put off the things that keep you in darkness and walk in the light. Wake up. We must wake up now and today like we were late for it. Like we woke up late for an important meeting or late for something we want to be on time for. When you wake up for an important late for an important meeting or late for something you want to be on time for, you don't wake up and. You know, make time for your coffee and your you wake up and you get ready and you run out the door and you go and then you check in the mirror to see if you got everything in order afterwards. Wake up. We need to understand that the price that was paid for us to be saved and wake up and not be motivated by guilt from our past or from our past slumber, but be motivated by the work of Christ and move on. We need to understand the desperation of the lost and not let the guilt of lost people going to hell motivate us, but the glory of saved people going to heaven motivate us. We need to understand the brevity of time and not let the worry about the, the shortness, the brief nature of time worry us, but let the joy of the moments we have to honor and glory Christ motivate us to follow Him and walk in Him. The times are precious. The times are too precious for worry to overcome us. We will worry. We will be anxious. But we must not let it overcome us. The times are short. Ephesians 5 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the, best of, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is a debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for e- and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Moses said in Psalm 90, and this is so, sort of if... If I took a verse that, I, that I've quoted, Mo, I don't have a life verse. I tell you, this is one of my favorite verses and it ends up being a thousand verses. But if I had one that I quoted the most, this section of Scripture would probably be it. Moses in Psalm 90 said, Lord, you have, been a dwe- you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or, or ever... Excuse me. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades away and withers. For we are, we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a, like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble and they are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Our life even though 70 or 80 years seems like a long time, ask anyone in here that's, that's in their late 30s, early 40s, or older. And ask them how much time flies at that point. When all you want to do is stop it and hold it. And yet in our society, idleness... Even productive idleness is king. Most, the most famous people in our society at this moment do nothing. Wasting time creating content. It's art, I'm sure. That is mostly meaningless. We play games on our phones or on computers or on consoles that have no ending. And the only value in them is what we and others place on them. We are in the last days, friends. Are we numbering our days? Are we finding value in them? Now that doesn't mean every gift that God has given us to enjoy for our pleasure is one that we should just toss out tomorrow. But it does mean that entertaining entertainment should be somewhere down here on our list of things. To do today. And the will of the Lord should be at the top. Numbering our days. We are in the last days, friends. Since the return of since the first coming of Jesus, we are in the last days. Are we numbering our days? Are our lamps full? Is our wick trimmed? Are we ready for the return of the bridegroom? Friends, time is a commodity. That is disappearing. And once the opportunity to redeem 
Once it is gone, the opportunity to redeem time has passed. It is gone forever. There will be other moments in time. But I will tell you from experience, if you find yourself saying over and over again, at that time I will do this. Or later in time I will do this. Or when I get to here, at this point in time in my life, I will do that. What you find is, at every moment in time that you reach, you are saying the same thing you did previously. At that time, I will do this. At this time, I will do that. Always delaying what needs to be done to the next time. Something else I want you to see really quickly. Not only should we wake up, but we should walk in the light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Walk in the light. The different sins that Paul mentions were typically and mostly done under the cover of darkness so that shame could be concealed. And this is how sin is often done. Behind someone's back, in the shadows, or in another safe space for sin. And Paul said the quickest way to redeem the time is to get in the light. To expose your life to the light. To make no room in your life for those type of desires. <clears throat> How do we do this? We walk in maturity. We walk in maturity. We put away sexual deviance. We put away drunkenness. We put away sensualities. We let the youthful pleasures pass away and pursue the things of light. Many of us want our salvation in stages. Lord, while I'm young, if you could just save me while I'm young, when I get a little bit older, I'll work on the sanctification part. If you could just save me right now, when I get older, I'll be sanctified and I'll grow. The idea of, well, I'm young, so it's okay to live like this, is not only sin, but it's evil. It is narcissism to say, God, I will be in a relationship with you for the benefits I get of that relationship, but I'm not going to put much back into it. We feel some semblance of peace as we long to have what God has to offer. As long as we have God on the hook for our salvation, fire insurance, we feel some semblance of peace. Walk in maturity. Maturity is knowing God, trusting God, and following God. Knowing God, trusting God, and following God. Walk in freedom. There is nothing better than a clear conscience. A Christian can walk in freedom because they have little to hide. They can freely let the light shine on them because it will reveal humanity, yes, but not a secret life. 
You want to see my phone? Sure, I have nothing to hide. You want to know what it's like in my house? Come over to my house anytime you want. You want to know how I feel about you? Don't ask them. Ask me and I'll let you know. We've had a problem in our life, Anna and I, recently with uh, someone accusing us of trying to backstab them or make them, you know, rally people against them. And although it was in my nature to answer those accusations, and I did, I lived in peace during those times because I'm not the backstabber. I'm a lot of things. Y'all know. Y'all know all the things I am. You want to point out some things that are wrong with me? Let's sit down afterwards. We can write a list. But I'm not the backstabber. You know? So if you said, you know, if you said, look, uh, Bryce is a jerk and he spends too much time joking around with people, let's sit down and have a conversation about that, okay? I don't have as much peace about that, right? But you tell me I'm a backstabber, you tell me I'm, I'm this or that, there's more peace to be found in that because I know it's not true. When we walk in the light, the light is exposed on our lives. The light exposes our lives and we have nothing to fear. We can walk in freedom. We position ourselves to do good and we don't have to have anxiety about what might come out about us. But when we position ourselves to sin and scheme, when the light shines on us, we have to worry about what may be found. Walk in the light. Walk in sacrifice. Our desires should cause us to pursue our desires cause us to pursue worldly passion, even the finest believer. But when we reject those things and present our bodies as a living sacrifice, we are then doing the will of God and loving others. In order to walk in the light, we must sacrifice. Yes, it will cost us time, it will cost us money, it will cost us energy. You will at times have to give up things and free time that you think you have earned. You might even have to put yourself into dangerous positions to walk in sacrifice as you walk in the light. But the reward for God-honoring sacrifice is far greater than the cost. Redeeming the time honors God. It brings glory to His name. And in time, in the fullness of time, we will reap the rewards of redeeming the time. But one day, even if we don't see it here on earth, we will reap those rewards in eternity with Him. I pulled this out of a commentary from one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons. But in December of 1734, he preached a sermon called The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It. It's based on Ephesians 5.16. One section of the sermon was, in, sermon was improving on the time that we have. And among his points were these. Consider that you are accountable to God for your time. Consider how much time you have already lost. And consider... How might, how, much, how might you might you may improve on your time without delay? Consider that you are accountable to God for your time. Consider how much time you have already lost. And consider how much you might improve on your time without delay. Will you pray with me today? Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
where Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a death he did not deserve. He took on the wrath and punishment that should have been on me, should have been on us. He swallowed it whole. He paid the price. We thank you that the cross was not the end, but that he was dead and buried. And three days later, he he was raised again. And in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he left us with the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit to live in us. And to reign in us the same way that we may be raised from the dead to walk in the light. Lord, would you help us to see time as precious and valuable and redeem the time? Would you help us to be people who leave no room for sin to take hold? No room for darkness to have a place. But we walk in the light as He is in the light. We pray and ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen.